Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net. Little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. 1-800-643-6273. Take time now and go to your phones because Boat Talk with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock. That brings around Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the internet at WERU.org. Uh, we're in the midst of our uh, midsummer fundraising right now, too. If you uh, are a, a person who has listened to Boat Talk before and think it's a worthwhile thing, uh, we'd appreciate it if you uh, you help the, the station with a little bit of uh, monetary input. The uh, pledge phone is 1-800-643-6273. Um, if you would like to make a call into Boat Talk, uh, the regular call-in number is one 866 625-9378. Boat Talk is a, is a call-in show with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. We, uh, we bring you a welk of information at a snail's pace. Uh-huh. Ah. I'm thinking of my own boat joke this morning. Why don't we give away a free boat with uh, somebody that will call in and support community radio, let alone boat talk this morning. You know, free boat. Yes. Huh? Do you know why we won't give away a free boat with any pledges this morning? Because there's no such thing as a free boat. Because we're boat experts, <laughs> yes. We know about boats here at Boat Talk, and yes, we know better. Yeah. Uh, beautiful oxymoron, free boat. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, just uh, uh, talked with a friend who, who uh, mentioned a price for a possible new boat, and, and I let that hang for a minute, and I said, yeah, up front, and that hung for a minute, and then he realized that mm-hmm. wasn't going to be the total price for that boat. So yeah. uh, free boats will not be offered as any kind of premium this morning because we're boat people and we know better, and uh, we wouldn't do that. We could probably fold a, a paper canoe, but that'd be about it. We wouldn't do that to a boat, maybe <laughs> not you either. So anyway, here we are doing boat talk again this uh, month, and it is, again, a fundraising issue of community radio now. We just had a little open house recently with uh, some live music the other, what, Sunday afternoon, uh, two ago it was, mm-hmm. right here, and uh, was on my way by delivering a boat, actually, uh, on the top of the car, and stopped by and uh, chatted with a few people, and um, invariably get 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 this all, more and more all the time, Alan, um, really enjoyed the Boat Talk cruise so much, oh, and yeah. uh, my father hasn't stopped 
talking about it yet. Okay, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, remember me from the boat talk cruise, and uh, more and more people have been on the boat talk cruise, which is just a delight. Always, always has been, and probably still will be. And uh, so, anyway, another way to support community radio around. Uh, uh, the Boat Talk program here is that cruise that we do annually or sometimes twice a year. We have a couple of boats now that, that we're able to borrow the Sea Princess on a pretty regular basis. Yep. Thanks uh, to, yeah, Bar Harbor Cruises for donating that on a regular basis, as you say. Yeah, not to mention our, our friend, uh, the underwater superhero, Captain uh, Diver Ed, uh, and the Starfish Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, how what cool is that? that is. So anyway, um, again, it's a community thing. And um, here's a little parable for you. Uh, I know some people that just bought a summer house here, never really been to Maine before, but they were smart enough to buy a boat because they realized that if you're in Maine and you're not out on the water and, and not looking at it from out on the water, you, you're certainly not going to see it mm-hmm. uh, to uh, its full advantage, let alone uh, see it for what it really is. You know? Yeah. When you say out on the water, it actually doesn't necessarily mean that out on the salt water in Maine there is so many lakes and rivers, too, having a boat. All the water is, it, is good water, yes. Yeah, yes, just, it is. That's much fun. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, support Community Radio if you can this morning and uh, give us a call anytime at uh, the office number here, uh, 469-6600 and also... Uh, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. The number that defies memorization. Let alone, come on back on the next boat talk cruise, uh, unscheduled as of yet. But uh, no, we have. Oh, really? Yep, I have an update on that. All right, then. we're going to be going with Diver Ed again to locate the second of three points to uh, determine the dead zone in Soam Sound. Uh, on the Sunday after Labor Day. I don't have a calendar in front of me. I can't tell you about About a that. month from now, more or less. Yeah. 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 All yeah, right. Labor uh, Day is late this year. And it's a September, be uh, yeah, September Sunday afternoon, three-hour cruise. And uh, to investigate the depths of some sound, best of luck, uh, you know. To establish a, a scientific uh, reality. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, not as concerned about the scientific realities as, as uh, Alan is. So, you know, yeah. I'll be along for the ride in the buffet myself. But <laughs> highly recommend And the company. Highly recommend it, as I say. So if you haven't been, come on, uh, start thinking about it. And if you've been, uh, you know, you know that uh, it's always a full boat. And uh, you ought to maybe sign up early. So mm-hmm. the Boat Talk crew is coming back. I've been off cruising. What have you been doing? I have been working on a little, um, I'm calling it a Swiss Army Knife Day Sailor. It's a 12 and a half foot, um, basically a rowboat that has two uh, rowing stations, so up to four people can row this boat. But it has a removable tiller and a, a removable deck, and you can step a mast through the deck and turn it into, it has a bowsprit, turn it into a 14 and a half foot sailboat, centerboarder. Is all this 12 and a half, 14 and a half foot uh, stuff covered with like uh, 10, 12 to 14 coats of varnish as well? Is this all as high maintenance as uh, possible? Yeah, yeah, and it's all bronze too. Yeah. Yep. All right, shiny and uh, scratch, uh, you know, unscratchable. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, perfect. The varnish is uh, theoretically 40, 14 <laughs> coats right now. It's more like three, but yeah. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, I love good high maintenance boat as complicated as possible. Uh Lends a moment to tell my favorite boat joke. 
it's only 12 and a half feet long and a couple feet wide. I don't know how much trouble could what it be. What trouble can we get into? Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll uh, find out. And again, we know about boats here at Boat Talk, so that's why they have us. <laughs> we could try sailing in the fog. Let us do this uh, foolishness on the radio and are going to uh, talk a little bit about sailing in the fog this morning. Yeah. Um, last month on Boat Talk, we uh, spoke of... Uh, among other things, we spoke of uh, trying to uh, jellyfish. Remember, mm-hmm. with a uh, scientist from the Big Ol' Lab, Big Ol' Labs, yes, down in uh, Booth Bay Harbor, mentioned that I had run into a fisherman on Cape Cod. A fellow from uh, Sandwich, Massachusetts, uh, runs a uh, fishing boat called Dirty Laundry, who had spoke of the whales feasting on the jellyfish, mm-hmm. and uh, the scientist he thought that was pretty curious. Mm-hmm. Now. Just passed through the Cape Cod Canal again, and uh, we always go in there to get fuel. And as I was going through there, there was Dirty Laundry uh, cleaning off his boat. And I went over to speak with him and just missed him. Hmm. But I left him a note and uh, mentioned we'd been talking about him on the radio. And I spoke to a friend of his, another fisherman, who um, I said that uh, Dirty Laundry's theory was that they feasted on the jellyfish. And he says... They got the big mouth open. They feast on anything in front of them. <laughs> That's, they do have a big mouth. Yeah. That was his point. He didn't know if they were into them for the uh, taste sensation or yeah. just because, you know, they yeah. were right there. So mm. Who knows? Another perspective, yeah. yeah. So going back to that. But we also spoke last month to our friend Steve Rappaport, who uh, does the excellent uh, waterfront column in the Ellsworth American. Been doing it for quite a while now. Yeah, and always worth uh, uh uh, noting and, and uh, looking for um, Steve last month when we left him was off to welcome Hermione, which was uh, entering Castine later that afternoon. Uh, turned out it was a bit of a foggy day. And uh, do we have Steve stand yep, by? Steve, uh, good Steve morning, Steve. There. Right there on the phone. Good morning, uh, Mike. So, Steve, you headed out of uh, Castine. Uh, what kind of vessel were we on? Who was driving? What was happening? Well, I was uh, with Captain John Worth. And uh, on his own boat, which is a 28-foot uh, motorboat, little cruiser, uh, but Captain Worth usually drives uh, something bigger. He runs uh, uh, tugboats for Fournier Tug over in, in uh, Belfast, and he has been the captain of the schooner Bowden uh, for Maine Maritime Academy as well. But... Uh, we were out on his boat. Uh, it was Captain Worth and his wife and I, and we headed down the bay to hunt for Hermione. Now, there were other vessels uh, headed out of Castine to welcome Hermione as well. Yeah, there were a lot of vessels uh, headed out, and there were also already plenty of vessels out in Penobscot Bay uh, that had, uh, I guess, come out of other ports uh, farther down the bay. I'm sure there were some that had come from Castine and Rockland and what have you, and that were following her up the bay. Busy day out on the water, a little foggy, you say? Well, it it, it was busy and foggy both, and uh, the fog made the busyness uh, really pretty interesting. Uh, When we headed down the bay, the visibility was about 100 yards uh, coming and going, but pretty much about 100 yards, and it was quite thick. Uh, And Captain Worth uh, has radar on his boat, and he has uh, 
AIS on his boat, so he was able to sort of have an idea of where Hermione was. Let's, but uh, couldn't see anything at all, and the radar screen was just crowded with hmm. boats. Yeah. And I should explain, AIS is an automatic uh, uh, identification system that certain boats will transmit a signal that on your radar screen, it'll give you the name of the boat and, uh, you know, sometimes more information as well. And, again, that's wonderful information if a tugboat is coming at you in the night and you want to talk to them. But if you're surrounded by 100 vessels, um, you know, there's a lot lot, uh, happening there. Well, of course, that was really the issue. Uh, Hermione had AIS, but uh, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of boats out there uh, ranging in size. I think the smallest boat I saw, and you kind of only saw them uh, when you got right up on them, uh, but there was everything from uh, um, you know, 17, 18-foot outboards to some of the big wind jammers uh, Victory Chimes was out there. I think American Eagle was out there. And uh, um, you just couldn't see any of them until you got right up on them or they got right up on you. Uh, and the same was true of Hermione. We could see it on the screen, on the radar screen. And it was obvious that we were getting closer and closer. Uh, but looking down the bay, all you could see was this big, wall of fog. The visibility was, as I said, very low. Uh, People, fortunately, were uh, maneuvering at low speed, but uh, it was really crowded. Um, And most of the boats, of course, had no AIS, so you would just, uh, and if they were small boats, they wouldn't even register on radar, so they would just kind of pop out of the fog. And uh, then we got down the bay ways and uh, couldn't see anything, as I say. We knew Hermione was there because it was showing up electronically. And then, bang, all, all of a sudden, uh, there it was coming out of the fog. The first thing you saw, the first thing we saw, was her rig towering high, high up above uh. the water. And uh, you couldn't see her hull. Uh, and then the hull became visible. And this whole thing, this, you know, magnificent full-rigged, square-rigged vessel just kind of emerged out of the fog. And it it was a pretty remarkable sight. It was like, uh, you know, this replica was not only uh, emerging out of the fog, but emerging out of the uh, 18th century and appearing right before you. Pretty spectacular. Very cool. Hermione, uh, of course, was uh, accompanied by more than a couple of vessels as well, uh, including some other replicas, uh, Lynx, uh, eight-gun privateer from the War of 1812, among others. Uh, you right. Bowden was right uh, there. Uh, we actually were kind of in company with Bowden, and Bowden was supposed to be uh, some sort of a host vessel or something, and it followed uh, Hermione had sailed out of, of Castine, I believe. In fact, I know they sailed out of Castine and uh, uh, met up with Hermione in the fog and, and kind of followed it into port. Pretty impressive. Uh, Lynx also, a very impressive uh, replica. 
I got to speak to some of the uh, young ladies on Lynx. Uh, pretty pretty cool. Uh, uh, pretty pretty uh, happy bunch of of uh, people, sailors and and the trainees as well. Um, the part of of your account that I like so much was uh, you haven't added yet was um, not everybody had AIS, not everybody showed up well on radar or had radar, but a lot of people had foghorns. Yes, um, it's uh, yeah. There was a lot of sound out on the bay, and uh, people were were pretty active in. Uh, blowing their fog signals uh, of course the you know the good news about that is you knew somebody was out there <laughs> but the bad news was seemed to be everywhere hard, they seemed to be everywhere right? <laughs> you didn't know who was where which fog signal belonged to which boat oh. um, you, you know that fog oh. changes uh, oh, the quality of sound so it's often difficult to tell you hear something, but you can't really tell uh, what direction the sound is coming from. But you know that there's somebody on the other end of that horn blowing it, and you just hope that they're keeping a as good a lookout as you are, <laughs> you know, looking out the window. Actually, you hope that they're more competent and less worried than you are, uh, but you <laughs> cannot assume that ever. No, for sure. No. So anyway, and uh, the boat did successfully make harbor and uh, was uh, uh, well docked. And the whole thing turned out to be uh, just a very sweet time uh, down to the town of Castine there. Um, very proud for the town. The the uh, uh, thing just had a glow to it the, the day and a half, two days that it was there. It, um, it was really remarkable. Um, I was kind of a skeptic in the beginning, but once the ship got there, I just thought, the whole program, the whole town did a wonderful job. It was it was pretty special. I also take two seconds to uh, throw in. Uh, I want to tip my cap to the ship handling uh, of the captain and the crew of Hermione. They did a spectacular job. Uh, once they got into harbor, of course, they had the assistance of modern propulsion they weren't trying to dock under sail but uh, the way the captain and the crew handled that ship and brought it alongside uh, at the town dock was really an impressive piece of, of ship handling that man knew uh, what he was doing and casting of course is a difficult place to dock anytime uh as uh, Commodore Saltonstall from the 1779 Penobscot Expedition debacle said, I'm not taking my ship into that damn tide hole. Yeah. And again, the current runs in Castine uh, quite vigorously. There's current, the uh, current runs hard there. Yeah, main maritime dock just off the end of the town dock. Uh, people get wound up in there sometimes, uh, and it's always fun to watch. So, yeah, it's a pleasure to watch people that... Uh, are very good at what they do. Read some other accounts while I was uh, off delivering boats of uh, her visit to the Chesapeake, and again, um, you know, in her wake, she left everybody smiling. Yeah, I I don't see how uh, anybody could have been disappointed by that ship and uh, her the ship's company. They were terrific people. I got a chance to get aboard and interview the captain and some of the crew, and they were just all terrific and helpful and interested and interesting it was uh, quite an experience 
Absolutely cool. Thanks, Steve, for speaking with us this morning. Uh, like I you say, love the part about the fog horns going <laughs> off and adding to the confusion instead of, uh, you know, uh, add more well, information. It was an exciting auditory experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, Steve Rappaport this morning, uh, uh, ace reporter from the uh, Ellsworth American Waterfront section especially, uh, highly recommended. Uh, it's on the uh, newsstands Wednesday afternoons and the website, Steve. Right, right. Uh, which is... Uh, which is what now? A website? www.ellsworthamerican.com. Just what it should be. Had, yeah. had to make sure. Thank you very much, right. Steve. You bet. I hey, appreciate it. Yeah. It is funny how fog does make sound sound as though it's coming from multiple directions or changing directions in the fog. It's, um, it's all about confidence. Uh, mentioned it was just off on delivery, Will, the other... Uh, and did you see on the TV there was a, uh, a news clip of a sailboat on fire off the coast of New Jersey? Oh, um, I didn't see that. Yeah, they had uh, pictures of it from the water and from the beach. And, mm-hmm. and again, just went up and down the coast of New Jersey. Uh, we we uh, parallel that about two, three miles off. Takes about a day, a little bit more than a day to, to transit down the coast of New Jersey. Um and it was just right there. I missed that fire. But we went uh, down the coast of New Jersey. Uh, at night, I got from my watch and was uh, Atlantic City off to uh, starboard there and surrounded everywhere else by a th- tremendous lightning storm for a good two hours. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, heat lightning offshore and jagged flashes everywhere else. That so was, you're on autopilot. Yeah, yeah our boat's yeah. Uh, driving itself. And yeah. again, uh, we're a little bit worried, but we're still here. So mm-hmm. next morning, I am... Um, uh, I'm sorry, that was a uh, day before that. I was uh, entering um, Long Island Sound at dawn, uh, just before dawn, and I get up, and it is a little bit foggy. And uh, it's hard to judge in the darkness how foggy it is, and on this boat we're delivering, we're not running a radar, so, uh, you know, here we are. And uh, we are going to enter Long Island Sound. Now, Long Island Sound is uh, a bit of a, it's wide in the middle and a funnel on both ends. And to get into Long Island Sound from from uh, this end, there are three ways to go. Watch Hill Passage up in uh, up near the shore in Rhode Island. Um, the classic is the race um, off the uh, end of Long Island there, <laughs> where the tide runs very very yes, vigorously. They and call we, it the race for a reason. Yeah, though. we don't want to buck that. Went through on, there on a, a moonlit night one night, and and that water was having an acid trip, Alan. It was glowing purple and, and yellow, and, and it was a uh, freakiest could be thing. back to jellyfish again. Yeah, and, and, uh, but anyway, because we're missing our timing on the race, we're going to go through Plum Gut, which is the most seaward um, entrance to uh, Long Island Sound, and it's further offshore, so we've delayed our entrance, and, and now I'm coming up on it uh, pre-dawn in the fog with no radar. And uh, I'm listening to the radio. radio. We have the radio on uh, uh, 12 and 13 uh, ship traffic, you know. And uh, people are starting to call uh, from the race, basically. Um, You know, here I am. Uh, Is that you over there? Um, And there's another guy who is a uh, ground on the Montauk breakwater, um, Allison and Isabella. And uh, the Coast Guard was talking to Allison and Isabella, and uh, at one point says, Allison and Isabella, Coast Guard, Allison and Isabella, what's your situation? Uneffing believable, he said on the uh, radio. Never heard that one before. 
But anyway, I put out a call that uh, I was entering uh, Plum Gut. Nobody uh, talking to me, but uh, in the race, there was vast confusion with two tugboats uh, and two sailboats that couldn't figure out. The tugboats couldn't figure out which sailboat was which, and, and that confused the people on the sailboats. And, mm. and again, I was all by my lonesome in the fog with no radar and, and it. Dawn, I, ne- I thought the fog was never more than um, maybe a third. I could see third of a mile sometimes, you know, I thought. But you're never sure. Yeah, that's it. And again, confidence. And you stick your head up in it, and now your glasses are plastered, and you can't see even less than you could down through the Dodger. And, and again, confidence. Uh, so anyway, the foghorn's going off, 100 or so of them at a time there just amused the heck out of me. And, uh, yeah, boat talk this morning. Yeah. Well, for something completely different, we're going to be uh, going to the Main Boats, Homes, and Harbors show, which is coming up uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, you and I are the Boatyard Dog MCs on Sunday morning, and that's that's always fun. It's still outside of my comfort zone, Alan. We've been doing that for more than a couple of years now because they've asked us, and they've been very nice about it, but... Man, that's that's a weird gig to go up there with Mr. Microphone and, and uh, chat with a couple of hundred people and, and uh, uh, several hundred people and a, f- a dozen yeah. wet dogs on a Sunday morning. Well, they're paying attention to the dogs more yeah. than us, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we're but all, we'll be there Sunday yeah. morning. They're also, this this uh, this show, going to be having a uh, Boston Whaler uh, gathering. And uh, that'll be interesting. Most everybody who has been on the water can... Uh, Remember a Boston whaler somewhere in their past. They've been around for quite a while now. And uh, we happen to have on the phone Dick Fisher of U.S. Bells down in uh, Prospect Harbor. Uh, Dick Fisher is uh, somehow related to the early Boston whalers. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Good morning, Dick. Good morning. Welcome How's to Boat Talk. There? Oh, we're great. How are you? Well, pretty good, thanks. Uh, why don't you just delve right in and tell us how you're connected to uh, Boston Whalers? Well, uh, when I was um, about 10, my dad came home from work one day uh, with a, some paper cups and a couple of jars of strange chemicals, mixed them together in one of the paper cups uh, outdoors, <laughs> and as we watched, it turned into a foaming three inches over the cup milkshake, which, of course, one wouldn't have wanted to drink, but uh, it was this new stuff called polyurethane foam. Um, and as I say, I was 10, so there's a lot of details that uh, went over my head with it. But uh, to kind of shorten the story, he decided he had been thinking for years that uh, that um, it would be neat to have a light material like balsa wood that you could make small boats out of. And, um, of course, balsa wasn't good because it would dent too easily and they didn't have too much fiberglass going then. But when they got into the... uh, When he he started working on a design first as a sailboat uh, and he brought that it kind of made it like a sailfish, only it sort of had a twin hull configuration. And he brought that over to Ray Hunt, who lived in the same town we did, Cohasset, Massachusetts. And many of you probably have heard of Ray Hunt. He's, he was a real successful boat designer. <clears throat> and uh, he was a good friend of my father's. 
they did a lot of sailing together. And Ray said to him, you know, a sailfish-type boat would be fun, and, but there's uh, probably more than 1,600 of them already on Lake Winnipesaukee, and I don't know if you'll ever make many more uh, outsell lows. And, and what's, what people are looking at nowadays is outboard boats. And uh, so he got Dad interested in making a, a, a small outboard and suggested a form that had been traditionally a Hickman sea sled, which was a uh, pretty fast-running boat with kind of a twin-hull configuration. And they made a prototype somewhat like that and took it out, and it went pretty well, but they uh, figured out fairly early on that it was it would cause the motor to cavitate because there was a big tunnel down the center of the hull. And so they started working on this central V section that um, took care of that problem and also made the boat a little nicer handling and um, drier running and choppy weather. And there was two or three years of experimenting and building mock-ups and testing things all the way through right through the winter in Cohasset. We break the ice and put the boat in and, and go out for a ride and come back. They splatter some fiberglass on it in the yard and let it set and then take it back and run it again. And eventually they came up with uh, the 13-footer, and which you all know, or many of us know, and that's kind of what I grew up in. Now, let you that's a bit of a legacy that's a bit of a legacy dick yeah number one um a lot of us also remember the classic uh, advertisement photo of uh, a boston whaler it was chainsawed in half with two people standing on the two halves floating there well uh, that was uh that picture appeared in life magazine and i think it was about 1961 so i'm getting a little older there and uh I got a chance to do that once. They had already sawed the boat at one event and taped it back together <laughs> and put a zip cord around to pull the tape off with once we got in front of the crowd that we were going to take it apart in. And uh, I remember pretty clearly that was in Situate Harbor. Um, my father, we got, oh, you know, we tooted out the, the motor and, went around a few times and stopped in front of the crowd, and then Dad pulled hold, hold of the rope. And, of course, it came about halfway around and then uh, pulled loose and didn't finish untaping the boat. And so he took his shoes off, jumped in the water, and got his jackknife out, and in short order had the boat cut in half with his jackknife, just <laughs> cutting the tape. <laughs> And it was fun because I got to steam around in the stern section, you know, planing around. It's a little tricky stopping once you get it up on a plane with only half a boat. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and you can roll the bow, too. But um, anyway, it made a pretty good uh, publicity stunt, and, and uh, lots of folks remember that picture in life. Dick, uh the Boston Whaler is one of the classic boat designs of all time. Uh, I believe that's pretty fair to say. And and your dad having uh, come up with that makes him uh, something of a certified legend, let alone, uh, you know, major or minor genius. Um, here's a question for you. Dad being a uh, uh, so good at, at that end of it, 
Um, how did it go after that? Marketing, um, salesmanship, uh, you know, manufacturing is all quite different from designing and, you know. Well, um, he, he seemed to do that pretty well, I think. Uh, he, he early on started building up a good dealer network, um, you know, originally in the Massachusetts area down on the Cape uh, and then farther afield, he, he needed exhibit the boat at uh, boat shows, you know, there was a lot of resistance initially because, first of all, it was quite expensive as small boats went, and also uh, it looked funny. You know, the world had grown up with pointed bow, round-bottom boats, and here's this thing that uh, people call the soap dish <laughs> and, and other names, uh, but they couldn't... Uh, argue with the performance you know it was low freeboard which i still like to this day over you can climb in from the water uh an interesting aspect to having low freeboard on a foam you know on an unsinkable boat is you can fill it right to the gunnels with water and the motor's still sticking above the water so you can just pull the drain plug and steam around and empty it right out uh, now, it's almost impossible to fill it with water, but uh, it has been tested. <laughs> um, and, you know, there were a lot of fun. With a 13-footer, you could leave it at the mooring with the drain plug out, and it would uh, self-bail because the bottom inside of the, you know, the inside of the hull is uh, molded. It, it's solid foam with a fiberglass both in and outside. And so the inside floor was above the water level, and it would self-bail, which is kind of convenient. You don't get not in your boat every time it rains. Um, and I don't remember your whole question, but... Uh, well, the dad, like I say, he manufactured yeah. those. He oh, successfully yeah, the, marketed them and, yeah. and became a billionaire, obviously. Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> there, there were... Uh, he did go... He built up a dealer network, and my recollection is he took really good care of them. He, they gave him good service. They took care of problems when they arose, and uh, they put a lot of stock in, in having good, uh, you know, owner-operated dealers that, that would took an interest themselves in the boat. <laughs> and I, it, other than that, I think the boat kind of spoke for itself, and they just give people a ride and they'd be sold. Um, it did an interesting thing that affected his um, eventual, I don't know, outcome in the whole thing. He, he got interested early on in the four-cycle engine <clears throat> to go with this. They, in the early 60s, about 61, they came out with a larger 16-foot size hull. <clears throat> which uh, needed a bigger motor than you might have had on your small boat and was able to get out in rougher water and uh, go farther afield, good for fishing and that sort of thing. <clears throat> and he wanted a four-cycle motor that would uh, burn less fuel and pollute less because it didn't have to have oil mixed in the fuel. And <clears throat> he bought the... Uh, they bought the home light there, there was an engine come put out by home light and the whaler company purchased that company and uh did a lot of redevelopment of the engine 
and ended up with this 55-horse Bearcat engine and eventually a larger 85-horse version. And it ran nicely, um, was real quiet when you're fishing with it, you know, running slowly and was more efficient and didn't have oil smoke. Um, But it was really costly to produce that motor, and there was a lot of resistance from the rest of the uh, outboard motor industry that um, made it tough to follow through with that. And after six or eight years, I'm not sure just how many years, uh, they had to give up on it. But um, And all outboards basically are, are now that way, that's all the, the new ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the other side of that is as he, he got older, um, you know, he I think he retired in the early 70s, maybe even a little before that. <clears throat> but... Um, the uh, oh, I'm not sure that the uh, thing that the trend when when the the whaler company was purchased by another company it went through a few sales and it's been very successfully continues down in Florida now. Um, but they the trend seemed to be towards larger boats, more horsepower, and as near as I can tell, still continues that way this, to this day. Um, they're, they're really good boats. They probably perform actually better than the old ones. They're a little smoother riding. <clears throat> um, personally, I like the traditional designs better myself, but uh, that's a pretty subjective uh, issue. <laughs> um, but um, I think my father, if he were alive today, would be trying to come up with something that was more uh, efficient and, and more ecologically friendly than three 250-horse outboards on the stern of a 35-footer. Yep. And uh, in, in some of his initial marketing, actually, were advertisements that uh, said very little about the boats, but picked up on, I, I kind of recall, an issue in Florida, the cross Florida barge canal that was being built. That the idea was that Corps of Engineers wanted to straighten out this river and basically destroy it so that they could run barges through it. And he from he uh, publicized that whole thing in the in some of his advertisements. And uh, they did build some of the canal, but I'm not sure they built as much as they wanted to. <laughs> and, and so he he had some you know, adventures through the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, we all grew up in the boats and, and had great times in them and wonderful adventures. And uh, Well, there are, <clears throat> there are a whole boatload of Boston whaler stories for sure. Um, are you going to be at the Boat Homes and Harbors show this weekend talking about whalers? Well, I'm planning to be there and just sort of socialize. Evidently, they're having a contest on the... Uh, I forget the categories, but the, the nicest restoration and uh, uh, the, the best loved into which category my boat will go. <laughs> yeah, best loved. <laughs> it, it's still running fine. Yeah. Mine is. It, yeah. it, it was Dad's uh, 21-foot outrage, actually. Uh, if the weather's good, I'll come down in that. If it's not so good, I'll probably just show up. Um and, uh, yeah, I, it'll be informal, just have fun times. Um, 
and uh, hopefully informative. Says here in the show notes, uh, trailer your Boston Whaler to the uh, Maine Boats Homes and Harbor Show this weekend and get in free. Yeah, that yeah. seems like a bargain to me. Uh, on the other hand, I'd much rather run it in the water down from Belfast, which is kind of my plan. Nice. Well, Dick, proud to know you and Dad there. Um, and uh, like I say, sounds like a heck of a fella. Um, you, we should mention this morning, uh, we're trying to also raise funds for community radio this morning. You uh, run a thing called U.S. Bells down there in Prospect Harbor, and you are a WERU business member. Well, that's true. We uh, take a lot of pride in supporting WERU. We listen to it most of the time, and uh, I like the soapbox, and believe it or not, I've been a supporter of uh, Barefoot Blues for quite a while. <laughs> Hey, appreciate it, man. I can't wait to see if the uh, soapbox people notice Donald Trump is uh, running for president. You know? uh, well, I used to like the way you would fight back a little bit on the show, um, but I realized that had its own issues. But uh, sometimes I wish the, the moderator would, would, would challenge the callers a little bit. Well, like that's say, my two cents. I won't harp, but that's my two cents. Turn your phone into a microphone is the uh, soapbox uh, third Thursday of the month, I believe, here on WERU, and, and uh, yet to come up this month. We were speaking to Dick Fisher this morning, U.S. Bells down in Prospect Harbor, and uh, like I say, from the Boston Whaler family, literally. <laughs> well, I guess I can't deny that. Yeah. And, and honestly, I'm proud of it. Oh, you should be. Uh, like I say, that's a heck of a legacy. That's off to Dad. Thank you very yeah. much, Dick. Well, you are welcome, and uh, we enjoy your show. All right. Bye. So we are doing Boat Talk this morning and a fundraiser. At any time, you could give us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight, 625 9378 and uh, we speak to you on the program. Or you could uh, pony up and give a couple of bucks for community radio this morning. So... You know, things like boat talk, uh, you know, for better or for worse, uh, can uh, happen on the radio. You know, we can, um, again, community radio is so much about people sharing what they know and love best. Sharing information, too. I think yeah. a, an example of that is the <clears throat> um, right here at WERU, you and I both noticed a poster that said, uh, Main Sail Freight. Right. Yeah. Uh, Excise, yeah. Right. What? Um, what was the old boat that was a uh, sailing freight and, uh, from here? Oh, uh, John. Oh, um, John Levitt. Uh, John F. Levitt. Yes. Yeah. Um, they That's, made a movie about that called Coaster. A uh, fella. Oh, uh, uh, think of his name as soon as I stopped focusing on it. Ned Ackerman uh, was a fellow who had a little dream back in the seventies to uh, build a windjammer. And uh, back in the days of the uh, oil crisis and uh, big fuel prices and stuff, he was going to uh, use his windjammer and sail freight around uh, here, there, and everywhere on the wind. And, um, well, he went down on his maiden voyage and uh, become a bit of a uh, parable, I guess. Uh, Coaster, uh, in my view, as a seaman, they failed to help themselves, uh, which was the lesson of that. I would also uh, just say as an aside here before we get to talking to these people, I use the coaster um, uh, 
story as an introduction to the Raw Faith people. And when I first met George McKay, I gave him the Coaster movie. Um, he ended up to have his own movie where the boat sank out from under him. <laughs> and next time I meet somebody like that, I'll give him both the movies. So <laughs> Bad record there. Yeah. So anyway. So anyway, now there's going to be another uh, attempt at uh, delivering farm produce from Maine down to southern New England or Boston, wherever. Um, this time they're going to use a, a well-found boat. Um, what is it, Nathaniel? Nope, I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, we do have uh, um, a person on the line who can tell us about that. We have Severin von Churchner Fleming. <laughs> sorry, Severin. Hi there. Hi, sorry, I probably messed up your name, but... Um, uh, glad, okay. Uh, glad to have you on on boat talk. And uh, why don't you just go ahead and tell us about uh, your your project with the sailing uh, sailing food? Sure. So Maine Sail Freight is a project of an organization called the Greenhorn. We're a young farmers advocacy organization, and we're using this 131 foot schooner to deliver about. 11 tons of organically grown cargo. What's the name of, name of the schooner? The schooner is called the Harvey Gamage. Harvey Gamage, yes. Yes, thank you. And we we are leasing that um, schooner from its owners in order to use it as a vessel and as a platform for a conversation about not only the history of trade along this coast of Maine and Maine to Boston, but also... Uh, in consideration of the future of trade, a more regional trade and a more prosperous trade for the young agrarians who settle in Maine. Uh, you said agrarians, Severin. You, you uh, people are essentially farmers more than you boat people, aren't you? Yeah, we we are. We're we are farmers, and um, our our work as an organization is to support the entering generation of farmers who are flocking by the droves to Maine to start up new farm businesses and continue existing farm businesses, um, the products that we're shipping are all coming from Maine. Many of them are non-perishable products, so more shelf-stable, like pickles and seaweed and honey and dry beans, all the kinds of products that can help young agrarians extend the cash flow through the season um, and bring their, their, their products to a more distant market, in this case, to Boston. Now, we're all in favor of uh, enhanced marketing for farm products and also putting schooners to work, uh, giving Harvey, Harvey Gamage something to do, uh, chartering her for a, a mission there. Explain to us how, how it works exactly. Well, on <laughs> August 27th, we're going to be loading all the cargo um, at 400 Commercial Street in Portland, and the public is invited to come and observe. We see this as a, kind of a performance piece. The logistics of loading the cargo um, onto the boat will be overseen by Leah Cook um, of the Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative. Um, those of you who are in the restaurant or food world are probably familiar with Crown of Maine. They are an incredible family-run business that moves about $2.5 million of food products all around the state of Maine, from small town to small town to big city, every year. And now this will be their first um this will be their first time shipping by ship, um, but the public's invited to come and see the door with us, and then we have a panel in the afternoon uh, around food sovereignty here in Maine, uh, community fisheries in the Gulf of Maine, 
And then um, looking more internationally about uh, food sovereignty in Latin America, which, as many Mainers may not remember, was a traditional trade partner during the age of sale, um, producing commodity crops and plantations, especially rum and molasses, um, which were mostly transported in Maine-made barrels. And actually, we're loading in the cargo partially in Maine-made barrels, also in Maine-made wooden boxes from the Jonesport cannery, and um, and then also in canvas bags. So it's very it's a very artful cargo, and I think it'll be pretty fun for those who want to attend and uh, spectate. Um, once again, uh, August 27th, you mentioned. What day of the week is that? And, and tell us where again. It sounds like a very nice event, hands-on. People, uh, you're going you're gonna to Tom Sorum, get them to help you load the boat, but they get to help load the boat, which would be pretty fun too. So, Yeah, we do. And, and there's an RSVP for the dinner party, which is um, it's August 27th, which is a Friday. And we'll be loading up all day. Then the dinner party is starting at 7 right after the panel. The panel, again, is free. It's at the Crown of, the Crown of Maine. It's at the Gulf of Maine Research Center. And the dinner party is not free. It's part of our economic plan to sustain all the public programming we've been putting on. Um, and so the tickets can be found online at our website, which is thegreenhorn.net slash main cell freight. Um, I should mention that today in Hollowell, we're having another public event um, down at the town landing with sea shanties and wheat threshing and hard pack, um, a history lesson from the Fort Western historians about trade up and down the Quebec River, um, and lots of kid-friendly kid activities and sailboats on the river. Excellent. And the Hollowell today on the waterfront, which again is on the yes. Kennebec, Kennebec River. And the yeah, river's. So last, I'm sorry, Severin. Yeah, uh, the river, of course, uh, in the day was the highway, and you're trying to use the, you know, the water in the same way. I think that um, a lot of people are pretty triggered, or it's, it's using the boats to coordinate trade is provocative for many. The people we've been talking it out to and trotting it out to, and um, I really enjoy that confusion. Uh, and like, and how confounding it is to operate in this kind of like liminal uh, space. That it's definitely there is commerce involved, but really we're we're invoking a bit of a fantasy uh, in order to provoke questions about what the future might hold. I don't think it's viable right now uh, economically to ship by boat, and it may not be for some time. But certainly the logic of the landscape of the rivers and the, and the connection between the main coast and Boston does make a lot of sense. And I think that if we can use this like fantasy economy that we're building with this project to inform and create relationships um, between growers and markets, um, then that will have served our purpose. Well, I, I was looking at it, uh, you know, from marketing uh, as generously as possible, but I love when you talk about fantasies we always talk about dreams on boat talk you know and uh fantasy economy i kind of like that now if we read our uh remember our history book severin um the uh, you were talking about the rum trade and all that back in the old days now they talk about the triangle trade um the boat is going down to boston um 
can we load it with beans and then send the beans to the Caribbean and bring back rum? Or, you know, is, what happens to the boat after it gets to Boston? Um, well, we really hope to be able to do this thing again. And um, <clears throat> when we did a, a similar voyage from Vermont down to New York, we were able to load up with green beans, like um, coffee beans, from an, a larger importer in New York to bring it back up to be roasted in Vermont. And certainly creating more circular uh, cargo routes would, would be the way to go. Um, our turnaround time in Boston is too short for that on this mission. And but you... the, the, there's other projects around the world that are doing sale freight and discovering little niches where it is economically feasible to deliver cargo by sale. And um, two, which I just would mention, are in fact exploring that tension where if you use the traditional current and the traditional trade routes that are informed by the ocean um, and her current and the wind and the the, the rotation of the planet uh, you know that takes you down the coast of Europe past Africa then across the Atlantic over through the Caribbean then up up the coast of um, the coast of the east of the east coast of the United States and so traditionally they would uh you know, pick up slaves in Africa, bring them over to the Caribbean, jump the slaves, pick up the molasses, bring it to Boston to be turned into rum, bring the rum uh, uh, back over to Europe. And and the the voyage of the Tres Hombres, which is a new boat, been sailing now eight times around that traditional route, eight years in a row. Uh, they are they are not delivering slaves. Obviously, they're they're instead <laughs> medical supplies. Um, medical supplies and aid uh, to the Caribbean countries, which is basically the only thing that those economies can support. Um, similarly, there's a boat called the Sailing Vessel Kwai, which is out in the Cook Islands, and what they are able to deliver is blue cubes and canned food and diapers and other kind of higher-value, non-perishable goods, as well as um, refrigerators, microwaves, and what they call white goods that are basically it's competitive for them to ship those products because on those small Cook Islands, the larger ships, uh, it's not worth it for them to stop. So, again, there's these kind of niche economies. Um, the Trans Ombres guys obviously are transporting very high-value rum and chocolate. Um, there's these kind of high-end niche economies and then lower-end um, um, island economies that do make these voyages viable by sale. Well, good for you to be out there doing it, dear. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Severin. Uh, let's give your website again for people who want more information. Sure. And if you know anyone in Boston, it'd be really great to spread the word by Sailor's Gossip. Um, we obviously are making a lot of use of social media, and it's all across the web, um, information and particularities. But um, August 30th, we'll be unloading in Boston all day on Long Wharf delivering the food um, via red trailer bike to the new Boston Public Market. Um, you can order food from us online at uh, fiddlersgreenmain.com. That's fiddlersgreenmain.com. And you can order it to be delivered by boat or delivered by a postal service, which, uh, you know, is almost as quaint as a boat. And then uh, we're, we're doing the event today in Hollowell. Today, Tuesday, and then on next next weekend at the thoroughfare between North Haven and Vinyl Haven, 
and then um, we'll be at the Main Boat Homes and Harbor Show uh, in Rockland next weekend, or this, sorry, this coming weekend, and then on the 27th we'll be in Portland loading in and departing. So the website is thegreenhorn.net slash Main Sail Freight. Very good, Severin. Thank you. It's been hey, great talking to you. Severin, while you're out there doing that, uh, keep pinching yourself and saying, living the dream, living the dream. This is the fantasy. This is the fantasy. Yeah. It's, uh, just, it's wonderful, and everything with boats becomes such an epic. Um, but it's great practice to, to think of a more epic way of doing things anyway. Good for you. Best of luck. Yes. Yep. Well. I got one little quick thing I'd like to throw in here at the very end, uh, just because I think it's very fascinating. Uh, from G Captain, uh, there is a uh, a new boat. Well, it's a boat, but I'm calling it the Toolbox of the Decade. Um. Oh, we got a phone call. Okay, I didn't realize we had a phone call. So we'll talk about Toolbox next month and go to the phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. You have just a couple of minutes. Hi. I just uh, was going to mention the uh, Maine Sail Freight. They said they're going to be at um, the Maine Boats and Harbor show, which is August 14th through 16th in Rockland. So yes. Place for people to see it. This Ivor? Uh, yeah, this is Ivor Luffing from yeah. Swans Island. Recognize you, Ivor. I know. I know. I was going to say that um, it may not be that much of a fantasy after all if, if any of you guys ever read anything by Dmitry Orlov. No, not familiar. Dmitry Orlov. No. Yeah, he has a blog called Club Orlov, and he's written a, quite a few books about, uh, col- you know, collapse and change in the wake of uh, peak oil. And what he says, basically, he thinks that um, uh, this might be one of the only viable forms of transportation or uh, commerce available after things get, you know, I mean, the the uh, level of uh, maintenance is very high on something like a, a highway especially an interstate highway, and we may not be able to afford it with the uh, advent of uh, less and less oil supplies and, or, you know, er- energy in general. And uh, we, there might be only a few ways to move things, and one of the best ways to move things might be by, by sail. That's mm-hmm. what he thinks, and also to transport yourself. That's a whole subject for a whole other show, though, Ivor. Thank yeah. you very much for your call. Yeah. We, have to, we have to wrap things up. Bailing on boat talk. Yeah. Worked out all right this morning. Yes, we did it all right. So. Yeah, and again, we are trying to get some support for community radio this morning. You can uh, come over and uh, grab some free uh, uh, food off the kitchen table or uh, stop by or give us a call and make a pledge. one uh, 625 would be a good number to try. Or 1-800-643-6273. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, 